So we're in the second week of our Full Flame series, and uh, there we are. Uh, it's material that was put together by the Christ for All Nations team, particularly Reinhard Bonnke, their founder. Uh, this material is about 10 years old now, and Reinhard has passed on to glory. But just a reminder that he was an evangelist who, uh, as the BBC defined him, changed the face of the church in Africa because of his crusades all over the nation there. Uh, and last week, uh, we talked about seeing people as an opportunity to demonstrate God's love to them. And we talked about the matchless message, if you remember, motivated by love, but the message itself was also love. Love, our motivation and our message. And this week, we're talking about who Jesus calls and equips. And also a little bit later, we're going to talk about the art of the impossible. And if you want a sort of summary theme for this week, one sentence uh, it's this. I think it's on the screen. The next one. God has always enjoyed empowering ordinary people to ignite his extraordinary plans and purposes. We've got any ordinary people in the room this morning? Or is it just me? Yeah, one of two of you would rather peculiar, but yeah, okay. But this is the thing, that God's favor hasn't just been given to us so that we can be blessed, but so that we can be a blessing to others. And in God, God intends to use each of us for his purposes. It's such a simple thing to say, but it's so often missed and undervalued in the church. And we've got to move away from this idea that the only people God wants to use are the ones who stand at the front or the ones who are called leaders or the ones who've been Christians for 50 years. None of that's true. If you're here this morning, you're here because God loves you, God has blessed you and God wants to use that blessing he's given you in order to bless others. That's this whole season that we're in of overflow, of sharing our faith so that others can have the privilege of stepping in to knowing Jesus as well. And I wonder if you see yourself this morning as God's chosen instrument. How can God use me? How can God use you? What are our qualifications? Have we got to go to Bible college for three years before God can use us? Well, praise the Lord, the answer to that is no. Bible college is good, but you haven't got to go to Bible college to be used by the Lord. And so we're going to look, we're going to go back to that very simple passage of when Jesus calls the disciples, the apostles. If you've got a Bible on your table there, uh, or you've got a Bible in your hand, and you want to turn to this passage, it's Luke chapter 6. And we're just going to read a couple of verses to inspire us. You'll be familiar with these verses, but I'm suspecting you might not have thought of them in this way before. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he caused his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. 
And then the list goes on. We're going to leave that verse up for a while. And I want to think a little bit this morning about who Jesus chose and what were their qualifications. Before he chose the 12 disciples, Jesus went on an all-night prayer meeting. Those of you who are around in the time of Pastor Sung in this church know that Sung was a prayer. Sung used to like meeting early in the morning to pray or late at night to pray. He took me to Korea for a trip and we seemed to spend a lot of our time praying. That was fantastic. We went, uh, we stayed in a mission hall in a church that had prayer meetings at five o'clock, six o'clock and seven o'clock in the morning before anybody else went to work. And each of those had about 100 or so people in. And Sung was in all of them. Uh, I dragged myself out of bed a couple of times to join him. There was a national holiday and everybody flocked to the mountains. Why? Because there were prayer centers on top of the hills and mountains in, in Korea. And uh, it was like everybody was going to a music festival or some big event. And they were, everybody was crowded. Why? To go and pray. Wow. So here Jesus is praying and the scholars tell us that all night means 12 hours. Interesting. How many disciples did he choose? Twelve. How many hours did he pray? Twelve. wonder if that was an exactly an hour per disciple. You know, did he see Dave and think, well, Dave's such an obvious candidate, I'm only going to need to pray for him for five minutes. But Dan, yeah, I'm not so sure. We might need to add that extra 55 minutes from Dave to pray for Dan. I'm not sure how, how he did it. But when was the last time you spent one hour praying for one person or all night praying over a decision? And do you know that the word disciple, we, we've got this idea that it's some sort of superstar Christian. Disciple really means learner, follower, apprentice. That's what he was choosing. And we're still in that place now. I mean, some of us, I look around and some of us have been Christians a long time. Some of us haven't been Christians that long, but we're all still in that place of learning and following and being apprentice of Jesus. Discipleship is never something we graduate from and say, right, I've arrived now. You know, I'm, I, I, here I am, aren't I great? So he, he spends 12 hours praying, and then afterwards he chooses his disciples. And I don't think it was random. It's not like he went along and thought, well, who am I going to bump into? I'll just choose them. It was all prepared. And they weren't the greatest supermen of Israel. At least they weren't the greatest supermen of Israel yet. He chose ordinary people. They weren't the greatest of choices. You two stand up a minute for me, will you? You're going to wish you hadn't sat so close to the front. So, for the sake of argument, these two, these two are the brothers. These are James and John. What do we know about James and John? They were called the Sons of Thunder. That wasn't because they'd had a curry the night before and their tummies were a bit... Go, you know. It was because they, they had bad tempers. They were impetuous. Later on in the story, they're thrown out of a village and they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want to pray for that village. And Jesus says, that's a good thing. And they say, yeah, we want to pray that fire comes down from heaven and blasts the village to pieces. That's, that's, that's the type of people. That, that, and, and James and John become key people in the life of the early church. Thank you, James and John. Sit down. 
Peter, why don't you stand up for a moment? Can you stand up? Let's imagine Peter is Peter. <laughs> what do we know about Peter? His name was Simon. He was changed to Peter, Peter, Petros, the rock. Rocky would have been a better name. Because talk about if these two were headstrong, Peter's got it to the nth degree. The rock. What a daft, you know, all that we know about Peter. But all the potential that Peter had as well. And Jesus has got his eye on him and chooses him. Thank you, Peter. I'm going to take a seat for a moment. Who else can I pick on? Let's have, uh, let's have uh, cans. Will you stand? John, will you stand? So let's say Cairns is Simon the Zealot and John is Matthew the tax collector. All right? Simon the Zealot was basically a freedom fighter fighting against the Romans. Freedom fighter is probably a polite term. He was more likely to be like a terrorist. So we've got this zealot, this hardcore group of people who so love the Jewish faith but want to get rid of the Romans and do anything to do it. Matthew the tax collector, who's he working for? The Romans. So he's, he's a traitor. He's gone across the other side. He's working for the Romans. And Jesus picks these two and gets them to work together in his team. Thank you. Isn't it astonishing? Or should have saved Peter to be Judas, the treasurer. But uh, we won't have him again. Judas... Who, who's, we're told that he's got a weakness for money. We're told that he's a thief. What does Jesus do? Foolishly? Makes him the treasurer. Wow. It's not foolish. It's all part of God's plan. But you see on the face of it, this 12 hours of prayer and then some of the seemingly crazy appointments that he makes to his team, he chooses them with all their faults and all their mistakes. Why does he do that? I think part of it is to remind people like you and me that if they can be part of Jesus' team and he can change and transform them, then we've got a hope as well that God could use us. And so the, the most dangerous thing to do is to sit there and think, yeah, well, that's all right for everybody else, but I'm disqualified. If, if, if they only knew the things that have gone on in my life or the problems I have. No, think again. Look at those disciples. And I don't think, I'm sure, Jesus didn't want to choose as the world chooses. And we could be sitting here and we might never get chosen for much. Take your mind back to those school playgrounds when you were a little kid. Did you ever have that horribly embarrassing thing where they lined you all up against the wall, chose two captains? Did they do this in, in Africa? So they'd have the kids all lined in the wall. They'd choose, choose two kids to come forward who would pick the teams. And they'd pick their friends. They'd pick the good sports people. They'd pick the good-looking people. And as, the, as people were coming away, the people left against the wall were visibly shriveling because nobody wanted to be the last pick. Remember those horrible occasions? I don't know if they do it now. But let me tell you this. When God looks at you, you're not a last resort. You're not a last pick. You're not a, well, you'll have to do because nobody else is left. You're chosen by God. Just like those early disciples. 
Jesus didn't want to plan for success as the world planned for success. There's so much to learn about the way he chose an ordinary bunch of people. And he still chooses ordinary people today, you and me. And one of the most thrilling things I think I can ever hear is when I see somebody walking in God's plans and purposes and using what little they have for the glory of God. And the opposite end of the spectrum, what grieves me so much is when I see people who have talent and ability and could make a massive difference for the kingdom of God and for some reason they've disqualified themselves or they've talked themselves out of it. This is why we keep harping on every week about volunteers because it's a very simple way to begin just to serve a little bit and be part of God's team. And we know some of you, timings and things, you can't do that, but just keep saying there's so many ways that you can engage with what God has for you. And this is, the, this is the key thing here. God doesn't choose us because of what we are, but because of what he can make from us. If God chose me because of who I am and what I was and all the great talent and ability that I had, I would never have been standing here. Because I think there were far, far more things in human terms that disqualified me from being a pastor than there were that qualified me. And so it's the grace of God. And I think one of the reasons that God's done so much through me and I've been so graced to see lots of things all over the world I've been involved in is I've made myself available. I've just said, okay, here I am, Lord. <laughs> it's much, but I know if I give you my little, you'll do something great out of it. And that's such a powerful life lesson. And each of you is a triumph of God's grace. We've all been through a lot. Some of us are still going through stuff right now. But nevertheless, we're valuable to God. And he wants us to be part of his saving plan for mankind. The God who created the heavens of the earth has got his eye on you to be part of what he wants to do in Barry Island and beyond. Isn't that astonishing? Sometimes we need to just get out of bed and be reminded of that. The world might tell you that you are nothing, but God knows otherwise. And which voice are you going to hear? Which opinion are you going to believe? It's always good to go God's way. Reinhard Bonnke, and we're going to, uh, in a short while, we, we'll, we'll watch something from Reinhard. But he talks about the fact that when he grew up in Germany, his dad never thought he would amount to, to much. And some of you know that condemnation from your own family. And, and, and in, in the German, his dad will always say to Reinhard, you are null, you are nothing, you are a zero. Can you imagine living in a family where you're told you're nothing, you're a zero? But Reinhard says that he learned this. When we stand next to Jesus and put Jesus as number one, our zero becomes ten put ourselves in front of Jesus and it's still a zero but if we if we stand the right side of Jesus that big fat zero becomes 10 and if another zero joins us suddenly it's a hundred 
Put another zero next to that, it's a thousand. And we see when we come together serving God, for all of us zeros, we can line up and if God is in front of us, if Jesus is number one in front of us, then suddenly we become immensely valuable in God's plan and in God's kingdom. Jesus calls us, Jesus equips us, Jesus sends us, and Jesus will be with us. He chooses us with as much detail and care and prayer as he chose those original 12 disciples. And the main part of God's plan right now is to share the good news of Jesus. You might have caught up with the fact that last Sunday after church, I hightailed it up to Heathrow, jumped on a plane to Munich, Germany, and to visit some missionary friends, some American missionary friends, Kyla Matilda Tromenhauser and their boys, uh, KJ and uh, Connor. Uh, shout out to them because they watch us every week or listen to us every week. And they're American missionaries in Munich uh, in a very uh, religious country uh, and quite often they might be talking to people and people say oh I'm not religious no no I'm not interested in church and they say well we're not religious either but we have a relational faith in Jesus and they talk about how they know Jesus in relationship and had a great couple of days just hearing their story and, and visiting their village with them and, and praying with them um, but relational faith Jesus called those early disciples, and the most important thing was they were going to be in relationship with him. And that's what he calls us to, to be in relationship with him, to be in relationship with each other, and to use those relationships to reach out to other people. That's why Alpha is so significant. That's why this season where we're going to get together and look at the Alpha material and grapple with some big questions in life and pray for Alpha and pray for people is all preparation for us to use our friendships and our relationships to invite people in to the full-blown Alpha course in the new year. But I can't emphasize enough the significance of this season that we are in, not just on Sunday mornings, but on Tuesday for these seven Alpha nights coming up. We've just had two Wednesday nights online with Gary Gibbs, the Elim Evangelist, with us a few weeks ago. And he's, uh, we've bought from him these books called The Big Welcome. You've got them on your desk if you want to have a look at them quickly. And uh, he, those of you that are online with us, you'll remember him talking about this. It's a gospel tract based around the story of the lost son, of the prodigal son. And Gary's suggestion is this. It's a great one. He said, look, put this in the hands of somebody but say this, hey look, at church we've been doing this series and they've been giving out these little booklets for us to read. I'd love you, will you have a look at it for me and see what you think about it? Give me some feedback. So rather than saying, hey, I know that you're lost and on your way to hell, you need to read this booklet, otherwise, you know, that's not the approach. But say, hey, do me a favour, I've got this new little booklet, have a look at it, see what you think. And then arrange for them to come back and have a chat with you. That might be a family member, a neighbor, a colleague, somebody you meet on the bus, somebody you see as you're walking your dog, somebody who you see in the coffee shop, whatever it might be. So do take these with you. Have a, re have a read through of it. And there's even a prayer at the back that people can, can pray through. 
but you don't worry too much about that. Just put it in somebody's hands. Say, hey, love you to read it. Give me some feedback. What do you think about it? And then pray for that person as well. I've been reading, as well as reading this fourth play material, I've been reading some other books by Reinhard Bonnke, and I came across this quote from him uh, in another uh, book. Hopefully, here we go. To bring salvation, the Holy Spirit took residence in Christ the Lord. But to preach salvation, the Holy Spirit takes residence in the church, men and women. That's you and me. Young and old, from all nations and tribes, cleansed with the precious blood of the Lamb. Again, that's not language you want to be using with people who don't understand that, but that's a powerful word for us who are believers. Is Reinhard Bonnke making that up? Is he just going over the top? Well, remember, Peter in Acts, that same uh, Peter, that hot-headed Peter, by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, Peter is quoting from the book of Joel, where he says, this is what God says, I will pour out my spirit on all men men and women, young and old. And so we know that God has poured out his spirit without limit into our lives. Why? So that we can be his presence among a world who need to encounter him. Do you realize that Jesus planned a project greater than any pharaoh? It was simply outside human capabilities. Man could build a pyramid, but Jesus involved them in what only God could do and to demonstrate the almighty power of God. Never did any emperor or leader in history ask so much of ordinary people, but never did any ruler make so much possible by ordinary people. Jesus deliberately picked a few local men who knew nothing about anything except fishing and then sent them out to change the world. They had to go into cities and among the learned, sophisticated, and the powerful, often in hostile territory and against all odds. But he equipped them. They went with the greatest of all life-changing forces behind them, the gospel and the Holy Spirit, truth and power. Think, if we only do what we ourselves are capable of doing, it fails to show what God can do. But obey the Lord in faith, and you achieve the unachievable. Then watch out. Mountains will move. The fundamental nature of Christianity is the art of the impossible. You know, I grew up in North Germany at the mouth of the river Elbe. It is a tidal area. So when the tide was out, we boys used to play in the mud. And in the mud were lying big barges, lying barges, loaded with building materials. I don't know how heavy they were, maybe hundreds of tons or 50 tons, some bigger, some smaller. And we boys played around there. But I used to think no power on earth can move these barges. But then all of a sudden the tide came in mm. and everything around those barges began to swirl. And half an hour later, I stood on the pier 
and I, as a 12-year-old boy, mm -hmm. was able to move these ships with one foot. That has become an illustration, a picture to me for life. When we obey the word of God, the tide comes in. The immovable becomes movable. The incurable becomes curable. And the impossible is possible. When Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into the world, it created a new order of possibilities beyond all that had been known since the days of Adam. We can all do the ordinary and trust God, but God is looking for men and women who will match their action to what they believe. When I felt the Lord commission me to take the gospel from Cape Town to Cairo, I was just a young missionary working in the mountain kingdom of Lesotho. It simply seemed impossible, if not preposterous. But I soon learned a valuable lesson. It is okay to be a zero as long as we stand next to number one. And next to Jesus, Christianity becomes the art of the impossible. Do you believe that? The art of the impossible is fundamental to the nature of Christianity. Obey in faith and we can achieve what seems to be unachievable. Trust God and we see the impossible become possible. Some of you know that already in your life. That is your testimony. I love that little picture there. The immovable becomes movable. The impossible becomes possible. Ordinary men Jesus chose, those disciples we talked about earlier, ended up changing the world because they went with the truth of the gospel and they went in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love that picture he gave when we obey the word of God, oh there it is, and trust the Holy Spirit, the tide comes in. Then we want to see the tide come in. And you see the tide come in in your life, in the life of the church. Don't we want to see the tide come in? When we say the tide come in in Barry Island, we see that a lot. But you know what I mean, spiritually speaking, that move of God. Reinhard Bonnke, a young missionary in Lesotho, given that vision of taking the gospel from Cape Town to Cairo, seemed impossible, but in God's help, that's exactly what he did. And Reinhardt says this, there's another quote from him, we'll just cover this as we finish now. The Holy Spirit is not distributed by lottery with a few people selected to receive it. It's not a game of chance, there are no winners or losers. Those whom God calls, he equips. There is more than enough Holy Spirit power to go around. No one is left out. No one gets leftovers. Don't disqualify yourself when you are already 
accepted. Wow. And again, if you just think, oh, he's making that up, there's no biblical evidence for that, there's plenty of biblical evidence for that. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, he says this, I also pray that you will understand, listen to this, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. The same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. All that we're talking about today does seem impossible without the Holy Spirit living in us and God's power available through us. That incomparably great, unimaginable potency of God's power. Dunamis operates through energy, strength, might. Where was that most powerfully displayed? On the cross and in the empty tomb. Raising Jesus from the dead and his ascension into heaven. And that power, the same power the Bible tells us that raised Jesus from the dead, is available in your life today and my life today so that we can see the impossible become possible. The tide will come in and we will see lives transformed. We will see people healed. We will see meetings full of praise and worship as this town and this land is transformed in the name of Jesus. What's today's lesson? You might think you are a zero, but standing next to Jesus, you become valuable and useful for the kingdom of God and for the transformation of a broken world. Amen? Next week, we're going to talk about overcoming fear and learning faith. But as Dave comes to lead us now, I wonder whether we might just respond to what we've heard today so if you're up for it again, if you just want to that refresh that call to be reminded that Jesus is calling you, that he's chosen you, that his Holy Spirit lives in you for his plans and purposes, and especially for this season of sharing our faith and caring for the lost and equipping ourselves to make a difference in this world. If you just want to be in that and you're excited about that, just stand right where you are today just as a sign to the Lord that, yeah, I'm up for this, I'm in. So just do that now. Don't delay if that's you. Just stand. I don't want to be the only one standing on my own. Father, we're claiming the truth this morning that nothing is impossible for those that are in Jesus Christ. And as ordinary men and women, we know that through Jesus, and through your spirit living in us, we can do extraordinary things. And so, Lord, we want to be used by you to bring light into dark places, to help lost people be put on the path for eternal salvation. And we say again, would you move in power as we surrender to you? Lord, would you let the tide come in? Bring in the tide, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.